Now, you all are in for a treat today. Today we have Mike McDougall with us, his wife Lucy, and their children, Canaan and Max. And they have been part of this congregation since uh, 2014. And uh, they've served in Hangzhou, China, since then. And then, uh, lately, they moved from China to, if I get this right, Kalevidia, something like that, uh, Lithuania, uh, in August of 2020. And uh, they continue to disciple making efforts there at LCC International University. Uh, Mike teaches students from many different countries and is able to be more open with his faith there in Lithuania. So we want to welcome them this morning. Mike. All right, good morning. All right, so nice try, nice try. Uh, we live in Klaipeda, uh, Lithuania. Uh, Klaipeda, but you can pronounce it any way you like. It's all right. Um, it's really good to be with you. Our children are not with us this year. It's just Lucy and I taking a trip, trying to enjoy. Uh, we just had our 17th anniversary, uh, so enjoy a little bit of time without kids together. Uh, but it's really wonderful to be with you. Let me start my timer here so I don't talk too long. Uh, so I, I don't have a lot of time to, to really talk, and so I, you know, I want to say thank you. It's great to be here. We love you. Uh, but now let's go ahead and kind of get started here. I, I'm, I'm going to be in John chapter 1 and chapter 2 um, in this lesson uh, today. But I do want to set a little bit of expectations for you, or maybe a lower expectations. I am not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I haven't preached in a long time from somewhere like this. And so... Uh, I think maybe this is Josh's job security, get somebody who doesn't know how to preach so that when he comes back, he looks really good. And so we'll see. My goal is I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus. If all goes according to plan, no guarantees, I'll try to make a point uh, at the end of it, and then I'll be done. Uh, we can go on and enjoy the rest of our day. Uh, but in John, I, I do want to be, primarily I'll be in John chapter 2, but I do want to spend a little bit of time maybe setting the stage before that from John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we have, I'm, I'm going to bypass the prologue, the beginning in eternity past, and kind of begin with John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, one day, is at the, the river baptizing, and he sees Jesus, and he says these words. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I, I want to pause here to try to maybe unpack this idea, maybe the meaning of this a little bit more, because we hear this in our modern sense, and we think of uh, you know, personal sins being forgiven so that we can be part of the Christian community. But for the first century Jews, it probably wasn't quite exactly that. Uh, for them, they had this idea that sin as a nation results in exile. And their history has proven this as they had been in exile many times because of their sin. And in the first century, they were kind of in a sort of exile that they believed that we, yes, we are in our homeland, but the Romans are here controlling us taking away our freedoms because of our 
rebellion against God, because we haven't, have not been following the laws of God, because of our sin. And so when, when John the Baptist points to Jesus and he says, the Lamb of God, we should be hearing in our ears uh, echoes of the Exodus, of the Passover Lamb. And when we hear uh, he's going to take away the, uh, the sin of the world, we should be hearing for, for these people following John, we should be hearing uh, return from exile. Our sin as a nation and as individuals taken care of so that we can have our new exodus return from exile. And then we continue on uh, in verses 35 through 42. John is with the next day with two of his disciples. And again, he says to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I think this is quite amazing, uh, interesting. The, the two disciples, they leave John and they follow Jesus. Uh, I, hope, I hope they said goodbye. I hope they gave him a hug, something. But it doesn't tell us. It's just like they leave John and they follow Jesus. And Andrew goes and finds his brother, Peter. And Andrew tells Peter something quite interesting. He says, Peter, we have found the one Moses wrote about. We have found the Messiah. So let's pause and think about what are they hearing? What are they communicating when they say this? So the word Messiah is is the same word as Christ in the Greek. Christ in the Greek. Uh, It means anointed one. It's this idea of kingship of the fulfillment of the promises of God given to David that God would place a descendant of David upon his throne who would reign forever and that Israel would be the center of the world. It would be the country, the power to be. Everybody wanted to go to it. All the nations would come and bring their glory to Jerusalem led by this king, this promised Messiah. But, of course, they're in this type of exile, and so they are communicating that this Jesus is the one who is going to be king, who will lead them out of this exile, lead them to this new exodus, to their glory days. Probably, uh, for sure, for some of the Jews of this time, not necessarily everybody, But a good number of the Jews believed that this would happen through a violent revolution. That this king would take up the sword. Then they would imagine these young disciples. They're probably in their teens still at this point. Following Jesus thinking with this guy, we are going to defeat the most powerful army the world's ever seen. We're going to do it. The Messiah. Exodus, new new exodus, freedom from exile, freedom from sin, uh, a a king who's going to defeat the Romans, and we're going to be part of it. John 1, 43 through 51, we see something a bit bit strange. Uh, We see Nathaniel, Jesus interacting with this man, Nathaniel, and he he tells Nathaniel some things. Um, And I want to just point out a few. Uh, When we see this interaction between Nathanael and Jesus, you should be hearing hints of the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. When Jesus sees Nathanael, he says, this is a true Israelite. Jacob becomes Israel. Jacob is, is Israel. 
And he says, Nathaniel, you are a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jacob was, as we know, a deceiver. And he says, how do you know me? And he says, I saw you under the fig tree. And he, this amazes, uh, amazes Nathaniel. He confesses who Jesus is. And Jesus says, if this amazes you, like, there's, this is nothing. There's more to come. The best is yet to come. And he says, you will see the angels of God, angels of heaven, ascending and descending upon the Son of God, the Son of Man, him, right? Jacob saw in Bethel, which means the house of God, he saw this ladder where angels were ascending and descending upon this ladder. But now Jesus is saying, Nathaniel and probably the rest of them, you're going to see something even greater than that. You're going to see this happening, that I am now. Jesus is this ladder that connects heaven and he connects earth in the house of God. For the Jewish people at this time, this idea of a connection of heaven, connection of earth in the house of God is temple language. So they're going to hear ideas of a new temple, a new possibly Israel. So, so this is kind of setting the stage of, and these are happening one day after the other. And these are young men leaving everything to follow Jesus. And I want to, if I, if, if I have been able to, create a sense of longing, expectation, excitement in these young men's hearts for what is going to come next. Jesus even says, you're going to see greater things than this. And they probably are thinking, what are these greater things? I'm ready. Let's do this. Let's go, Jesus. I wonder what they expected would come next. You know, we know we can look in chapter two and see what comes next. But if we didn't, if we couldn't see chapter two, but with our knowledge of Jesus and his life and ministry, maybe we would guess what would come next would be something even greater, something that would meet and exceed those expectations. Perhaps a sermon on the mount, perhaps a healing of a blind man, a raising of the dead, confronting the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, turning over tables in the temple in Jerusalem, riding on a horse, a war horse, into the powerhouse, the city of Jerusalem, to confront the political authorities. Maybe we would expect some of these things to happen next, that these types of things would be the greater things that these disciples, together with Jesus, would do to change the world for God. John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, the next day, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, by the way. It says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. I don't know about you, but I feel this is a little anticlimactic. You're going to see greater things, the Lamb of God, freedom from sin, the king who's going to destroy the Romans, the new temple, the house of God. What are we going to do? We're going to go to a village and go to a wedding. We're not going to Jerusalem to rub shoulders with the powerful, 
We're going to be at a wedding and rub shoulders with Jesus' mom. And some unknown, unnamed people at a wedding celebration. Huh, this is a bit strange. (laughs) Uh, I can imagine that the disciples felt a little confused. What's going on here? And what I want us to see is how... In the midst of this expectation, Jesus takes his disciples to a very common, normal, ordinary thing that any of us and most of us have experienced in our life. Nothing huge and amazing and showy, but just a wedding. An everyday, normal event. And then, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I'll kind of go through here. Then Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and says, they ran out of wine Jesus goes up apart from everybody else, and it's him and the servants, and presumably some of his disciples around him. And he does, of course, an amazing miracle. I mean, miracles, I guess by definition, are amazing. But, you know, this changing water to wine. But when we compare this miracle to other miracles Jesus has done, maybe it just doesn't seem so important. It's not causing somebody to, to walk who's never walked before. It's not raising somebody back to life. It's not even like Moses, um, God through Moses bringing in water or manna or quail so that people wouldn't starve to death. This is just a wedding and they ran out of wine. And Jesus chooses for this event to be his first miracle. And he changes the water to wine and it's not to change the world for God, but it's to change the life of a family that we don't even know their names. He saved this family. His first miracle, in the midst of this expectation, the first thing he does is save a family from disgrace, from running out of wine in their wedding celebration. And so, After the wedding celebration is done, the word on the street in Cana of Galilee is not how how disgraceful this family is, how embarrassing it was, and how we don't want anything to do with this family because of the shame they have brought upon us. That, That is not what they're talking about after this wedding in their community. So Jesus saved this family from losing face, from dishonor and disgrace. I don't have time to go into depth about that about the importance of that within their culture, but needless to say, it was important. Shame and dishonor, very important within their culture. So not, but not only did he save them from disgrace, he actually uh, increased their value within their community. He didn't t- they didn't lose face, but Jesus gave them face. Because Jesus could have created wine according to the custom where the first wine that comes out is the best wine and the rest of the wine that comes out is not so good. He could have done that and saved their face, saved their honor. But he didn't do that. He went beyond that and did something they had never seen before. They had the best wine and Jesus created something even better. So now the word on the street after the wedding celebration is not how bad they are, but how amazing this family is. And Jesus did this all in relative secrecy, in a room with servants, to save the wedding and reputation of a family. 
And then we come to the end of this section. And I think this is really just amazing in verse 11. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. John chapter 1 makes it clear that Jesus is God. And so when we see here that Jesus is revealing his glory, he is revealing the glory of God to his disciples. Think about this. Moses wanted to see the glory of God, and God said, no, if you see my glory, you will die. And Jesus, in a secret, humble act of saving a family's reputation, saving their wedding, in an everyday common activity, revealed the glory of God to his disciples. I wonder if the reason Moses would have died is not because God would have struck him dead, but because he would have died of shock. That who would imagine that Yahweh, his glory, looks like a secret miracle in the presence of servants to save a wedding day. This is amazing. They revealed the glory of God. He revealed the glory of God to his disciples. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of coming drawing to a somewhat of a conclusion. So don't, I hope I haven't lost you here. Just stick with me a little bit longer. We often, as Christians, as churches, we often have high hopes and high expectations of what we together with God can accomplish in our world. I often hear from people Oh, I want to make a huge impact in the world for God. I want to make a huge impact in, you know, Chattanooga for God. We're going to do great things together. And I wonder about that. I I think those things happen. Some some people, some churches, I think sometimes, you know, they, they, in following Jesus, he does amazing things and, and, We say we've done amazing things for God. That happens sometimes. But I think most of the time, maybe we feel that, you know, I'm I'm just a school teacher. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just, I'm looking for a job. You know, I got bills to pay. I got this to do and that to do. And, you know, I'm going to, I want to make a big impact, a huge impact in the world for God. But that's got to be for somebody else. That's got to be for the the elders and the preachers and the missionaries and those maybe who who are retired and can go do things like this. But it's not for me. So what is my point in all of this? This is where my point, my, my time of trying to make a point. And I'm going to finish quite early so you can thank God for that. What is my point in all of this? My point is, in your everyday, in our everyday mundane activities that we do, whether it be going to work, going to school, staying at home, going shopping, going to the restaurant, Jesus is there. And he is calling us to be with him. He's calling us to serve others in humility, in love, 
oftentimes in secret. He's calling us to do things like, instead of speaking bad about somebody behind their back, speaking good about somebody behind their back. He's calling us maybe to pick up trash from our neighbor's yard, even though nobody may see it, or pay for the meal for the person behind us in line, or say an encouraging word to somebody. Send an anonymous note in the mail or email to somebody who's discouraged. Jesus is working all the time in our daily mundane activities. And they, when we realize that Jesus is there, they no longer become mundane activities. Instead, we can open our eyes to see that together with Jesus in these weddings in Cana of Galilee, that we today can reveal the glory of God to our world. Amen.